0: This is a Christian conversation about what we say Christian conversation without the hype. I forgot our (laughs) tagline for a second. Keep that in the recording. That will probably be our bumper.
1: Welcome to Simply Faithful, a place for Christian conversations without the hype. We're here to discuss faith, life, and ministry with each other and with other interesting people.
0: Our desire is to save you a place at the table with us. Here at Simply Faithful, we're hoping to begin conversations about Christianity that you can continue throughout your life. This week, what is the self and identity? Good day to you, and welcome to Simply Faithful, Christian Conversations Without the Hype. My name is Gray Ewing, pastor of New Valley Church in Phoenix, Arizona. And I am Eric Tunges, pastor of Kishwaukee Community EPC near Rockford, Illinois. Happy anniversary. Did you realize, Eric, that today is... I think about a year since we started. I think our first one started May 18th last year. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. I thought you were talking about
1: my wedding anniversary, which is next week, but that's okay. The podcast matters too. (laughs)
0: That's right. More? Uh, No, my wedding anniversary is coming up too. Thank you, friends, for being with us for a year. Enough of sentimentality here. We'll dive in. (laughs) Today, we're talking about the Christian view of the self. How do we understand who we are? And this is a quest that many of us have. Maybe we've been shaped into thinking that we need to understand who ourself is by media and cartoons. Even I'm thinking about seeing Frozen Two recently, where Elsa has to go into the unknown to find herself. And so we we have these taglines in our culture. I'm just trying to discover who I am, or the Christian version of that. I'm trying to see who God made me to be, and then of course the All time, One of the all-time greats of advice is you need to be true to yourself. And that advice is given oftentimes for people who are having an identity crisis. Be true to yourself. So the quest for identity goes back a long way, obviously. And so there's a very good side to it. Of course, the advice to be true to yourself can't always be true. We would never say that to someone who is, by their own selves, a racist or something like that. They're not going to look into themselves and we're going to say, you should be true to that self. At the same time, I think we recognize that everybody has this quest to want to be known and to know themselves. And so we're going to be talking about how we find and help the self today. So, Eric, to kick things off, I'm curious. You're in Barnes & Noble, which nobody is anymore, but let's just say you're in Barnes & Noble. And you see Awaken the Giant Within from Tony Robbins or something like that, the self-help section are you immediately drawn in? Are you ready to ignore? Do you think it's blasphemy? What's going on in you? On some level, I'm immediately
1: turned off, especially by those sorts of books. Although, as I'm sure we'll discuss in this conversation, I think younger me was prone to just roll his eyes at all of that self-help kind of literature. And I do think that as I've grown older, I recognize a place for some of those more practical books about different things, but I still am innately suspicious of them as a whole.
0: Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree, although I am in the same boat. Like I, I actually am finding myself more and more drawn in, especially those things that tend to be more helpful from a just pragmatic level. And uh, I also think it's kind of unfair the way that Christians criticize this sometimes. Sometimes people say, oh, yeah, you know, this is what's wrong with our culture. Is that we have this huge self-help section and nobody's turning to God. When in reality, when we're talking about a bookstore, for instance, there's just kind of a proliferation of books in general since the 1970s and there's books about everything. And so it's a little bit unfair, but I think there is a point there. There, there has been a modern movement towards understanding the self and a lot of ink has been spilled over how do we find our identity identity. And just to give kind of the brief history of it, in modern thought anyway, of course, it goes back to Aristotle. And even further back, we're going to go to the biblical roots today. But in our more current American environment, it really comes from uh, a few different phases in American history. So the Victorian era, the movement was to suppress the self. And so the self is not something that should have been understood. And so there was a kind of a reaction to that. This is a very broad brush and probably could be criticized on multiple levels. But you have Freud and the psychoanalysts who came out later and said, no, the self, you know, this id and ego, uh, they, they are to be found and to be liberated. And then in much more modern thought, there are the constructivists who said that the self cannot be understood so individualistically as Freud thought the self has to be situated into a particular culture. And so the self is much more made than it is or constructed than it is discovered. It's found in a particular place in history. And of course, people use that to make moral claims about what the self is or should be. And one more bit of interesting history I'll just add here is that in 1990, there was a huge landmark psychology study published by Philip Cushman, called Why the Self is Empty. And so people are still talking about this article. People love it. People love to hate it as well. But in that article, basically, Philip Cushman said that the self is constructed as empty now. And now we are looking to advertising and to governments to tell us who the self is and to fill the self. But the problem is that they never do that. And he was talking not from a Christian perspective. And so the point I'm trying to make this morning is that all these uh, views of the self, they contribute to what you would think would help or help you to know the self. They make a case for you to understand yourself. And in that, there is a worldview. And anything you wanted to add to that history, Eric? Let me just
1: try to simplify maybe the shift that seems to have happened. And again, the danger with these sorts of things is that we're really talking about a shift in sort of degrees of what people feel, because this is oversimplifying. But in that oversimplified way, what's happened is that for most of history, the question of who am I was largely a question that people didn't wrestle with in the ways that we do today, because their identity was largely received. So the sense was that your family, your town, your community, whatever, just sort of supplied that answer for you based on who your parents were and what you were born into. And those expectations just kind of defined the self for people. And through a variety of shifts, what's happened in the modern era is that we sort of recognized and rebelled against that. We embraced the idea that... First, that the self needs to be discovered. And then as we kind of plumbed to those steps, we started to realize that for many people, it's not really clear what they're supposed to discover. And so what we've arrived at is a place where the self is really something that you engineer or invent for yourself, that the world, the culture doesn't construct or supply it for us anymore. Instead, it's something that we're supposed to construct and supply, except we're not very good at that, which is where Cushman and others argue that the state and other actors really come in and provide that for us.
0: Yeah. So there's a deep hunger there, but there's not necessarily the answers that we think we want are the answers that we actually need. So as pastors, we're going to start, of course, with this question biblically. So let's go back to the beginning of recorded history, what we believe to be the genesis of all of human thought and life, which is in the book of Genesis. And so, Eric, maybe briefly, what do you think the Bible says just in a nutshell about the self?
1: You can really trace the story of the self onto the biblical story, which is creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration. But that is to say that, first of all, the idea of the self rests in creation in scripture. And that's really the most important place to start which is to say that we are made in the image of God, which is a description about how we are kind of created intrinsically, but more than that, about our role in the world, that what is supposed to provide us with identity is showing forth the glory and honor of God, and as a result, getting glory and honor and dignity in that position. Then because of our rebellion in sin, that self is also corrupted and messed up, and so we are glorious ruins. We are both still bearing the image of God, but also in rebellion against him. And then in redemption, what Jesus is doing in a sense is seeking to restore us to that image of God by embodying the true self, the true humanity as that God and man being that kind of bridges that gap so that then as we are remade into the image of Christ, we can be remade into the image of God.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. And I I think that one of the themes that we want to talk about perhaps a little later is some of the biblical language surrounding the self, because I think people are confused by it. So the scriptures say that our lives are hidden with Christ in God and that it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. So the self is kind of lost in a sense. And then we're also told by Jesus that we need to deny ourselves. And so he both restores the true self and also teaches us a different way to understand the self that I think is a little bit more nuanced. And then of course, in consummation, you left that piece off, we are fully restored into the image of God with the new heavens and the new earth. So I think that's a good summary of the biblical story and where we see the self in it. And that self is something that is given by God and not constructed ourselves. And yet we all have this kind of bent towards understanding ourselves. We kind of take personality tests and we want to know what makes me tick. So is that an idea of the self or is it something else? And this is, of course, something that has gone back way beyond just the modern period. I'm thinking about an oft quoted bit from John Calvin, where he says that the two things that we really need to know in life are knowledge of God and knowledge of self. In those two things are all knowledge, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. And you can't know God without knowing yourself. And you can't know yourself without knowing God. What do you think about Calvin's approach there? And what does he mean by the self?
1: That quote is one that often irritates me a little when I hear people trot it out, actually, because what Calvin actually means in the Institutes is essentially like a proper theological understanding of ourselves as sinners in need of salvation and then of the duties that are required of humanity In obedience and service to God.
0: He's not like talking like Elsa is in Frozen 2. (laughs) No, he's not.
1: (laughs) He's not saying that by understanding your Myers-Briggs and your Enneagram that 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 and knowledge of God are the two things that are necessary. (laughs) But that said, while that Calvin quote is somewhat misused there, it's not wrong to recognize that there is a sort of self-knowledge that is appropriate and that we should pursue. And I think the easiest way to talk about that is to say that the proper biblical question of the self is an understanding of who has God created and made me to be as distinct from somebody else, and how can I live and serve him in those ways as that particular creature that he's made me to be. So I often think, for example, about the Apostle Paul. And one of the striking things about Paul is that he has this very clear sense that he is a particular vocation and task and calling and set of gifts within the church. And one of the issues that I think sometimes happens when people read the New Testament is that they try to read it as if they're all supposed to be the Apostle Paul, and then they feel guilty about the fact that they aren't. But Paul's very clear that that's not the case, that he has a specific role as sort of the apostle to the Gentiles, and that that is not a role that's shared by other people. And something like that an understanding that just says this is who God has created and what God has called me to be and do is, I think, a very important part of understanding the self.
0: And so the question then would be, how does one discover those things? Like, how do I know what my spiritual gifts are? How do I know who God's made me to be? And do you see a place there for testing and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think all of it's fine. I just think that there's some caveats about
1: being careful. I think one of the issues that we sometimes have in this discussion is that we as Christians don't have a proper appreciation for what wisdom is and how to seek wisdom. We want everything to kind of operate on simple moral axioms of good and evil in this way that kind of destroys the situatedness of a lot of the questions of life and the specificity and, I mean, even grayness of some of those things as we seek to pursue God's will And wisdom, biblically, is really this category of kind of discernment and how to live in God's world well. And really, a lot of what lies behind the helpful parts of personality tests and self-help books and all of that is a
0: set of questions about wisdom and about how to live wisely in the world. I think you're right, Eric. And I do think that biblically speaking, you see that Paul, for instance, sees himself in distinction to Apollos. And that's really that distinction is really about what he does, that mission to the Gentiles or the particular way that he speaks. And I think that's one of the things that we have lost is that we tend to think of identity as something that we discover within as kind of a being rather than a doing. So, biblically speaking, part of who we are is what we do. It's not all of who we are. And of course, there is idolatry that comes along when you only identify with who you are as what I do. So, I'm a banker, I am a whatever, and you find your identity in that. That's not what I'm saying. But biblically, people are identified as their professions. You know, you've got (laughs) the shepherds and you've got the maker of purple dyes when you have Lydia and, and people are identified with what they do. And that does become part of their identity.
1: It does, although I want to be careful there, too, because I think that that can oversimplify the question. On one level, there is sort of some sense to saying that the search for the self detached from sort of living and serving in the world and doing things is futile, right? That there is this sense that I'm going to like go out in the desert and peel back all the layers and figure out who I truly am, detached from all other human beings, detached from all work and vocation and calling. It is true that what you tend to discover in those settings is that maybe you're just an onion and it's layers all the way down. But on another level, I do think there's a proper sense of recognizing that God has created you to be a specific sort of person. And that because of the sort of realities about who you are, that's going to affect what you do. Now, you, you tend to discover those things as you're out in the world doing different things and trying different things. But it's easy, I think, to say people didn't used to struggle with those questions but that's also missing the fact that there was an error that was committed historically too, which is to say, essentially, you were just given a vocation, and because you were given that vocation, that was really who you are, and it didn't matter who you were as an individual, right? And so, like, you were called to be a priest in the medieval ages because you were the third son of a noble, not because you were <laughs> you actually had any gifting or piety or propensity towards ministry. And so I do think that we need to kind of live in a place of tension that says, contra the modern idea... The self isn't this thing that we just go inward and discover, detached from the world. But contrast some of the ancient issues, I am a particular human being with particular inclinations, and it's not inappropriate for me to ask questions about what I'm doing and whether I should be doing it based off of who I am and who God's created me
0: to be. That's helpful, Eric. And getting at some of those questions that you just asked, like self-examination, like what should I be doing maybe than what I am doing? How do we actually help the self? So there's lots of people out there that would give you advice on how to help the self if you read their books and a lot of times it involves discovery as we've said and just finding yourself and then maybe trying different things but like biblically speaking what do you, what would you want to say to someone that's trying to be, to help themselves So
1: what I would say is that the the best way to understand it
0: is to say that you
1: are called to go on a journey and then along the way to pay attention to who you are and kind of learn who you are along the course of that journey. And so the journey is towards Christlikeness, ultimately. It's growing as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ And the journey needs to come first. I think one of the problematic things that happens sometimes when we put the who am I questions first is that we kind of leave people in a place where they don't really have the tools to answer it. And so it's like, well, don't start serving in the church until you've taken a spiritual gifts inventory and figured out all this stuff about who you are and what you should be doing. I think that often leaves people kind of puzzled or even gives them wrong answers. It's more that you say, I'm going to start pursuing Christ And seeking to follow and grow to be more like him and do the things he calls me to do. But along the way, I'm also going to be paying attention to myself and talking with other people. And through that, coming to understand more and more like, okay, this is the set of things that Jesus has
0: called me specifically to be doing. That's right. And if you're not careful, you can develop a whole view of yourself that is apart from who God says you should be in the scripture. So I often see this kind of mentality in the church where people are trying to discover who they are, and they already kind of have an idea of what it is. So they already know that to be them would be to be free or to be early retired or to be happy or to be in a loving relationship that they've always longed for but not ever had. And so they define that as what the fulfilled self would be. And then they kind of look at God as the means to that end, whereas what we would say, of course, is biblically there's a set of things that we are called to do and be, and we do those things first, and then within them we discover the variation. And so, biblically speaking, there are some things that it means to be a human being, going back to John Calvin, (laughs) knowledge of God and knowledge of self. He means knowledge of humanity, knowledge of what it means to be a person in the world that God created, situated there. And so situated there, we need certain things. We have vertical needs. We have need to be in right relationship with God. We have horizontal needs, which is that we need a community. We need friendships. We need to obey our leaders. We need to follow God's law. So we start with the basic things of what it means to be a human being first, and then we find the variation within that, not we look for the variation first and then see how God's word patches that together for us.
1: Yeah, the way that I sometimes think about it is to say that, like, What you're supposed to be doing is actually largely not something that you go out and discover, but it's something that's provided to you. But how you're supposed to be doing it is the thing where it's appropriate to kind of ask questions about who am I and God has wired me in particular, which is to say that like I am called to be a husband because I'm married. I am called to be a father because I have kids. I'm called to love the neighbors that live near me because they're my neighbors. I'm called to do the work that I have right now and all of that stuff. And if I'm in a different position, like say I'm single, then that means that for that time I'm called to be single. And rather than kind of probing the questions of like, am I really supposed to be married? Or in your heart, in a hard marriage, you say, am I really supposed to be single? You say, okay, like at least for now, I know this part of who I am. I'm supposed to be faithful to Jesus in this. But then the questions of like, how exactly you do that and steward that and embody that, it is okay for you to ask questions about how am I wired and how are these other people around me wired. And I'm going to kind of try to act and parent and love my spouse and work at my job out of that set of gifts and strengths rather than trying to do it just like somebody
0: else. Yeah. And I think we would both agree that often the energy is spent in the wrong direction. There's so much energy that we could find to do this identity building with just the basics of where I'm situated, who I know, what I'm actually doing at work. Part of calling, for instance, is what are you actually doing? Because what you're doing right now is what you're called to do. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't explore and think about what else God might be calling you to next. But so much energy is spent into the next thing or the, the discovery thing rather than the actual being and doing of, of life I want to be careful that we're not too critical because there is a truth to the idea that yourself can be helped in some obvious ways. And there's lots of great literature about self-care, for instance, about making sure that we take care of our bodies and eat well, that we rest well, that we are psychologically okay with our parents and, you know, we understand our history and there's, there's some things there that that overlap with the biblical story in such a significant way that we would be foolish to ignore them.
1: Even something as simple as the insight that like having a positive attitude tends to bring positive outcomes in life, that's not hostile to scripture. That's actually true. And while I don't know that it warrants the number of books that boil down to that idea, it's certainly a helpful idea for somebody who is deeply cynical and lacks hope and joy to recognize.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's the Francis Schaeffer... You know, all truth is God's truth kind of approach. So if we find something to be true in the world and it's not contrary to scripture, then there's every reason to believe that it is helpful and good and from the Lord. Let's go now, Eric, to this biblical tension that I mentioned earlier in the episode, because I think people wonder, is the self even something that's real after Christ? So scriptures are often mentioned that our lives are hidden with Christ and God, that we should take up our cross and deny ourselves and so the self is not a real category anymore once you become a christian. What do you how what's your reaction to that?
1: So to answer that I actually think we need to back up and explain another idea that people miss which is the question of what it means to be free. The language of freedom in the modern world is very much about freedom from things outside of us. The idea is that the free life is one where I can do whatever I desire, and that nobody's going to tell me no, and nobody's going to constrain my ability to act on those desires. And that's actually fundamentally different than the ancient idea of freedom. So for the Greeks and Romans and other people in that world, there's all these discussions of freedom. But as you pay attention to them, what they mean by being free, while it does include an external component, is really focused on being free from your desires, which is to say that they understand us as ourselves, in a sense, as something that actually constrains our freedom. And so you think about like somebody's appetite for food or drink. That can actually curtail their freedom if they overindulge in it and keep them from being actually free. It enslaves them. And it's important to recognize that distinction, first of all, because it has a lot of bearing on the problems with some modern ideas about self-help, which is that oftentimes all we're really doing is sort of like putting people more and more in bondage to their desires because we're removing the things outside of them that might constrain those desires. But it's also really important, then, to answer your question, which is to say that when Scripture speaks of the self in that negative way, what it really means is the self with its sinful desires that constrain us and keep us from being truly free and following
0: the Lord. That's right. And you need to be careful when you read Scripture that you're not overly simplifying the way that the authors are using certain terms. So. There's often a nuanced discussion, like words like flesh or world are often used negatively or positively in different contexts. So you need to understand what he's saying. So the self in these contexts is the self as opposed to God. It is the culmination, as you said, Eric, of the desires that we have that make us bound to sin. So to be To lose those things is, in a sense, to lose yourself, but it's not in the sense that you lose the identity that God's created you with or your personality or something like that. That's right. And that sense of self-denial is
1: actually very helpful and proper, but it doesn't in any way mean that personality or your uniqueness is obliterated by becoming a follower of Christ. And I think that that's very clear in the way that you still see how unique and different these different followers of Jesus are in the New Testament, while also having a lot in common in terms of trying to
0: follow him and do the things he commands. That's right. It's a helpful distinction, I think, because I have seen some criticisms of, say, personality tests like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or something. They say, we don't need to do this because our whole self needs to be denied. We don't need to understand ourselves. We need to deny ourselves. And that's an overly simplified view of that.
1: Let me just try to name why I think that's actually a problem and can become destructive. I remember having an interaction with a person in ministry when I was much younger as a Christian who informed me that he thought that the whole idea of personality and temperament was nonsense and that there would be no personality in heaven, that everyone would be the same and things like that. He was very vocal about that. But as I watched him and the way that he ministered to college students... What happened was that that was actually an excuse for him to take his personality and try to turn that into what Jesus wanted everyone to be. And so he had a sense that everyone should have exactly the same gifts as him and approach everything exactly the same way as him. And it was actually, in the name of denying the self, a way to sort of reify the self or exalt the self to be his self. It actually blinded him to a bunch of things that were really problematic.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of people I know as well.
1: (laughs) So true. Uh. On that cheery note, Gray, and speaking of the self, one of the things we do at the end of every episode is we have this time that we call what's good. And the reason we do that really ties to some of what we've talked about this morning, which is to say that God in his common grace has given truth and wisdom and beauty and just enjoyableness to all sorts of things in creation, not just explicitly theological things And so on that note, Gray, let me go ahead and ask you what has been good for you
0: lately. There is a coffee company called Trade Coffee that has been helping me understand who I am as a person. (laughs) So actually it is it is appropriate because it's a company online that helps you understand your taste in coffee. And this was recently given to me as a gift by my brother who's starting his own coffee company and he wanted some feedback on different roasts and stuff. So he actually bought us as a family a subscription to Trade Coffee. And what they do is they, you fill out a profile of your likes and dislikes, perceived likes and dislikes, I guess, and they send you a recommendation based on that. And then you provide more feedback after that first one, and then they send you a different one. And so it's kind of a way to hone in finding your favorite coffee version and who you really are as a person. So
1: I have to acknowledge here, Gray, that I am a coffee Philistine. It's not that I don't sort of appreciate good coffee, but I'm happy to drink instant coffee. And in fact, I have to tell you this. So I worked at Starbucks for several years while we were in seminary. And what happened at Starbucks, there was like this tiered system and you could eventually like get a black apron and stuff. And you would have to do these tests where you would describe different coffees and do tastings and things. And I got so that by taste, I could sort of differentiate what the different coffees that we sold were. But they would want you to sort of do this like undertones of this and earthiness and chocolate hints and stuff like that. And I couldn't ever for the life of me taste any of that. But they had this coffee guide that gave you descriptions. And so what I did is I took it home and I memorized their descriptions for all the different types of coffee. And then I would just
0: regurgitate those whenever we had coffee tastings. <laughs> so I'm dissing bread last week, I think, and you're dissing coffee. We're just sort Philistines in our own ways, I guess. Oh, I'm not
1: dissing coffee. It's just that if it's Folgers, I'm just as happy to drink it as if it's some um,
0: $20 a cup really fancy stuff. That's just because you haven't figured out who you are in terms of coffee. <laughs> maybe Maybe trade can help you understand your identity. We'll see. Maybe I'll look into it. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed this conversation, there's a few things you could do that would really help us out. Most importantly, keep this conversation going. We would love to have so many people engaged with this. Grab someone, grab a a drink at your favorite spot, hang out and talk about this and let them know about this podcast. You can also find us online at all the places you would expect. Most recently, we are on Instagram at SimplyFaithfulPod. That's the handle there for Instagram, SimplyFaithfulPod. You can also find us on Twitter, at Faithful Podcast, Simply Faithful on Facebook, and simplyfaithful.org is our website. In all of those places, we'd love to see you. If you share something on there that's
1: especially interesting, we might even talk about it in an upcoming episode. We would also appreciate a rating on your podcast marketplace of choice. And most importantly, we would love it if you shared this podcast with some friends who might enjoy it. We're super grateful for those of you that we've seen already sharing it, and we would just love to have more faces around the table.
0: That said, until next time, I'm Gray.
1: I'm Eric, and this has been Simply Faithful.